Prairie View Christian Church this morning. First things first, I do want to thank Craig for preaching last week. It was really helpful to me, and I know it was a little bit stressful for him because several weeks back I had told him, hey, there's a really good chance I'm going to miss a Sunday. I'm going to need someone to preach. He offered to preach, and he didn't know if it was going to be Sunday, November 2nd, or Sunday, November 9th, or Sunday, November 16th, or Sunday, November 23rd, which would mean that he wasn't going to be here Sunday, November 23rd. So he had to put some time into it, put some preparation into it, and I know it was a little bit of a stress for him, but nonetheless, he got up here and he served and he did a great job. So thank you to him. And I'm also thankful to all the people who have encouraged us and supported Olivia and I as we had the baby last week. Uh, people who have been praying for us, people who brought us meals this past week, people who are bringing us meals this coming week. Uh, we're really, really grateful. And it's really meant a lot to us to just really feel like uh, this church has wrapped their arms around us as we welcome our son into the world. So with that, we are in our third and final week of our sermon series looking at generosity. And being that it's the final week, being that we skipped a week last week, let's recap what we looked at already. So the first week with this generosity series, we looked at generosity when it comes to finances. And we talked about how God has blessed many of us with wealth and that wealth, contrary to what some people say, is not an inherently bad thing. Wealth is not inherently evil. However, at the same time, we as followers of Christ would be foolish to ignore or foolish to pretend that wealth can't become an idol because it can become an idol. Our finances can very quickly draw our eyes away from God if we're not very, very careful. So in order to help avoid this idolatry, there are things that we do. We give generously to the church. We give generously to missionaries. We give generously to organizations or doing God honoring work in different places of the city and state and world that we may never go. We talked about how for some people, true financial generosity isn't as simple as just the 10 percent rule. For some people, true generosity will be more than 10 percent. For some people, true generosity will be less than 10 percent because they might not have a whole lot left to live on after that. But all in all, what it all comes back to, to sum it all up with generosity in our finances, is that we're called to submit our finances and submit our wealth to the lordship and authority of Christ. To view the wealth that we've been given as a resource to alleviate suffering, to contribute to his kingdom and things that are honoring him in every single corner of creation. And to help bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to give them a taste of what that looks like. Through our generosity. So second week, we talked about generosity when it comes to our time. And we talked about how so many of us seem to have so little of it. And so the challenge for us often is to prioritize our time and to be generous with the things that matter in terms of our time and to be stingy with the things that don't matter. We're called to be generous with our time towards those things that have eternal value. And so just like we submit our checkbooks to the lordship and authority of Christ, we're also called to submit our calendars and our planners to the lordship and authority of Christ. We're called to be generous in giving ourselves time with God. We're called to be generous in giving others time of service. And we're called to be generous giving time to the kingdom, to those things that, like we mentioned, have eternal value way past this life. 
So that brings us to where we are today. Week number three with generosity. We've covered quite a bit. There's a lot that can be said with finances and a lot that can be said with time. But one thing I really want to focus on this morning that we haven't particularly focused on yet is what does generosity look like within the body of Christ? And even more specifically, what does generosity look like within our local church? The body of Christ is not just Prairie View. The body of Christ is all who call Jesus Savior and Lord. But what does generosity look like for this particular church, for our church family here on this corner? How should generosity with one another affect our relationships? How should generosity with one another affect the way we speak to one another? And the proposal that I'd like to make to you this morning is that God's people, this local body of Christ, we can be generous with one another. We can be radically generous with one another, but not just on our own. We can be generous with one another through the inspiration of the gospel and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So with that, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today and take that home with you. If you don't have a Bible with you right now, feel free to turn to page 780 of our chair Bibles. But before we read that passage and talk about generosity, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father, again, we are grateful to be in your presence. We're grateful that you come into our presence. We're grateful to be in the presence of fellow believers. And God, it really is a privilege to be here. I pray that we'll never forget that. I pray that we'll never lose sight of just how blessed we are to call Prairie View home and to have this place that we meet every single Sunday. God, I pray that you'll help us to be generous with one another. I pray that we can be generous in material things and that we can be generous in the things that maybe aren't so material. I pray that the generosity that happens here at this church would honor you and would glorify you and might even make people perk their ears up a little bit more to the gospel that we preach. So, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these people. Thank you for all the generosity that has happened in this church before, all the generosity that's happening today, and all the generosity that will happen in the future. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to look at a couple brief examples of radical generosity in the New Testament with those followers of Jesus who came right after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended to be with God. And Acts chapter 2 is a good place to start. So, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So we see this passage in Acts chapter 2 where people are sharing their possessions. Sometimes they're selling their possessions and giving the proceeds to people who need help. And we read that and we think that's kind of weird. Seems like a commune. Seems kind of strange. That just is kind of makes me uncomfortable. It kind of flies in the face of some of the things that I hold dear. Maybe that's just a blip on the radar. Maybe that's just a one-time thing that the church did. Well, then we turn to Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Another passage 
basically saying the same thing. Now, the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So again, we see this picture of the early church being incredibly generous with one another, especially in terms of their possessions. That passage specifically says that some of the believers didn't even really care about who owned what. Their bigger concern was making sure that the community had their needs met. And so Luke says about that community, there was not a needy person among them. Think about that. That's crazy for us to think about. It's weird for us to think about. It seems a little bit extreme for us to think about. Well, the people around those churches probably thought the exact same thing. This seems kind of weird. This seems kind of extreme that these people would sell their possessions and help one another, that they would share their possessions. They seem a little bit out there in that community that calls themselves Christians. It would be extreme to them just as it's extreme to us. But we clearly see, and there's no bones about it, that the early church was radically generous with their possessions. But not only were they generous with their possessions, we see that they were generous with their finances, like we talked about a few weeks ago. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 and 14, Paul says to the Corinthian believers, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So Paul there is talking to the Corinthian believers, and he's encouraging them to give to the believers in Jerusalem. Believers in Jerusalem had come across some hard times. They needed some help. And so Paul is trying to raise some money from other churches, like the church in Corinth. And he uses a couple things to motivate them for this generosity. At one point in this passage, he motivates them by saying, you know, those churches in Macedonia, they're given a lot. I've said a lot of good things about you. Don't make me look bad. You better keep up with the Macedonians. At another point, he says in that passage we just read, maybe you should try to meet their needs just in case when you have needs that need to be met, maybe they'll meet your needs as well. So Paul encourages the early believers to be generous with their finances. And we already saw in the book of Acts that they were generous with their possessions. Now, that's all well and good. There are numerous examples of it. But for us today, there's a problem. If we hope to be generous the way these churches were, like those passages in Acts or like this passage in 2 Corinthians, there's a problem if we don't have possessions. Or what if we don't have money? What if you can't do that? Really, you truly can't. What if you don't have the things that you need? What if you don't have hardly the money to keep your own lights on? Does that mean that you're incapable of being generous to fellow believers? Does that mean that you're incapable of following what the book of Acts says or what Paul is telling the Corinthians to do? Well, this morning we're going to talk about several different ways that we as brothers and sisters in Christ can be generous with one another outside of possessions. 
and outside of finances. And no matter how much stuff or how much money or how little stuff or how little money you have, all of us are called to be generous with one another. And there are ways to do that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. We're going to see the first way that we can be generous with one another, starting in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So Paul highlights to those same believers that he was trying to get to donate money in an earlier letter. He tells them that you've been given gifts, that you have ways of service, that you have activities that you can do. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. These gifts, these services, they are empowered by that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you these things for the common good. And some of these gifts, some of these services that you've been given, other people don't have. He goes on and he lists all these different gifts and how everyone has a different gift. And some people are good at one thing and some people good at another thing. He goes on and he says it's kind of like a human body. He says that every single part is different. Every part looks different. Every part has a different function. But they all have to be there for the human body to be whole. And if you have too many of one part and not enough of another part, or if you tell yourself that one part isn't as important as the other part, then you're missing the point of what it means to be a whole body of Christ. Now, with these gifts, some of these gifts that you've been given, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you've been saved by God's grace, some of these gifts may be new. Maybe you become a follower of Christ and all of a sudden you find yourself with a gift for something that you never had before. You find yourself with a passion for something that you never cared about before. And you can't really explain how this came about other than when I became a follower of Christ, I was given this gift. Some of you may have a spiritual gift that you've always had. You've always been good at that one thing. You've always been passionate about that one thing. But now that you've become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit has reoriented that gift or reoriented that service for the common good of the body of Christ and for the glory of God. Instead of just for your own good, instead of just for your own well-being. So maybe you don't have a ton of money to share, but you can make coffee because you want people to feel welcome when they come to prayer with you. Maybe you don't have a ton of possessions to share, but God has given you a love for kids. And so you help in the nursery or you help in Kids City so that those kids can hear the gospel. And so that those parents can come and hear and be confident their kids are safe and taken care of. That way they can hear the gospel in this room. Maybe you don't have a ton of material things to share or sell or give away, but you have a love for the Bible. And you have an ability to teach. So you choose to lead a small group. There are ways that we are called to be generous with the gifts that God has given us. In one of our previous churches, there was a guy named Russell. And Russell and his family, they were doing okay financially. They had the things they needed. They had a pretty good amount of stuff. They had the things that you needed to have to get by. But they were by no means rich. They weren't just going around and cutting blank checks to anyone in the church who had any type of need. But... Russell was really good at construction. That's what he did for a living. 
And so often his way of generosity was not through sharing possessions. It wasn't through sharing money. His way of being generous was that when he heard of a person in the church who had a leaky gutter, he'd go and fix their gutter for him. Or when he heard of a person in the church who had mold in their bathroom, he'd go and help them get rid of the mold. Or when he heard of a person who needed insulation because they cannot afford to pay their heating bills in January and February, he would go and he'd install insulation. A lot of the time, he did this for free. He didn't charge people. He did it on his own time. Russell's way of being generous was taking a skill or a talent that he had and using it for the common good of the body of Christ, using it to serve his fellow believers. So maybe you can't be generous with your possessions because you don't have a whole lot. Or maybe you can't be generous with finances because you don't have a whole lot of that either. But you can fix a car. Or maybe you can babysit someone's kids. Or maybe you can pick someone up who needs a ride to church. Now you might hear these things and think that these are kind of insignificant. These things probably don't really matter a whole lot in the big scheme of things. But the truth is that when a follower of Jesus serves God and serves their fellow believers with the gifts they've been given for the common good, there's no such thing as insignificant. In fact, God is glorified through that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Only where hands are not too good for deeds of love and mercy and everyday helpfulness can the mouth joyfully and convincingly proclaim the message of God's love and mercy. So Bonhoeffer says that even in acts of everyday helpfulness, God's love and God's mercy can be proclaimed. That generosity can be seen in the little things we do for one another. And that God can be glorified through that. In fact, the truth is that if we aren't using our spirit-given gifts and talents and abilities and skills for the common good, then we're doing ourselves And God and our fellow believers a disservice. So we're called to be generous with our gifts and our talents and our skills. Not just our stuff or not just our money. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. We're going to look at two more ways followers of Jesus can be generous with one another within the body of Christ. Starting in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So. Paul says that a way to be generous with our fellow believers, if we don't have money or don't have possessions, well, we can always be generous with compassion. We can be generous with kindness. We can be generous with humility and patience and forgiveness. But let's be real. Sometimes our fellow believers don't really deserve these things. And sometimes we're not that eager to be generous with these things towards one another. After all, do our fellow believers really deserve compassion When they repeatedly make poor decisions leading to pain and suffering, do they really deserve compassion? Eh, probably not. Do our fellow believers really deserve kindness all the time when they are so often rude to us and to other people? Probably not. 
Do our fellow believers really deserve us to treat them with meekness and humility when all signs indicate they don't need someone with humility? They need someone to kick them in the butt, but they don't deserve it. Do our fellow believers really deserve forgiveness when they hurt us or sin against us over and over and over? No, they don't deserve forgiveness in those situations. And yet, Paul says that above all these things, put on love. To remember that you're called into one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful for one another, even though These people don't deserve compassion or kindness or patience or forgiveness. Be thankful for them. The idea is simply that we're called to be compassionate with one another and kind with one another and show grace to one another in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. I heard the burp. That was a loud burp, Mason. (laughs) I was trying to keep a straight face, but... We're called to be generous with one another in terms of grace. We're called to show this compassion to one another and this kindness to one another, even though none of us deserve it. And if we aren't willing to show this compassion and show this kindness and show this forgiveness to one another, then we do them a disservice. And it might even show that we have a poor understanding of the grace that God has shown us. If we refuse to show grace and be generous with grace to those around us. So we're called to be generous with service. We're called to be generous with grace. Let's pick up in verse 16 of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So now we get to the third thing. We pick back up in verse 16. And the third thing is this. We're called to be generous with one another with the truth. Paul says that we're called to meditate on the word of Christ. And for our purposes, we can consider that scripture in its entirety. We're called to meditate on scripture in order that we can teach one another, in order that we can admonish one another. But the truth is that often we're hesitant to be generous with the truth. Because sometimes we buy into this lie, which says that grace and truth are two mutually exclusive things. That you can't show someone grace when you're telling them something they don't want to hear. And sometimes we're tempted to kick and scream anytime someone holds standards or anyone, anytime someone holds us accountable for anything and say, you know, you're just not showing me enough grace. But the person who responds in that way has bought into the lie that grace and truth are two mutually exclusive things. Sometimes we buy into the lie when people hold us accountable and accuse them of not showing enough grace when really they are trying to be generous with the truth. And they're trying to do that for us with love. But in the same way that we do a disservice to our fellow believers when we are not generous with our gifts or we're not generous with grace, we also do them just as much of a disservice if we aren't generous with the truth. When we see a fellow believer flirting with sin that will destroy them, but we don't say anything because it could be a little bit awkward, we aren't being generous. When we see a fellow believer following false doctrine, but we don't say anything because we don't want to rock the boat, we aren't being generous. 
When we see a fellow believer making poor choices that hurt them and hurt the people around them, but don't say anything because it's none of our business, we aren't being generous. We're doing a disservice. And sometimes we use the idea of grace to mask our own fear, to be generous with the truth. We're called to be generous with one another in every single phase of life. Our service, even when we think it's insignificant. Our grace, even when they don't deserve it because we don't deserve it either. And especially with the truth, even when it's hard to be generous with the truth. But really, when it all comes down to, as nice as all this stuff sounds, this generosity loses its value if it's not done for the right reasons. And on top of that, if this generosity is done for the wrong reasons, how could this possibly be sustainable? How could we possibly continually show grace to one another or continually share the truth with one another or continually serve one another if we're doing it for the wrong reasons? At some point, we'll have enough and it won't happen anymore. Well, how does Paul inspire those Corinthian believers to be generous? Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, first he talks about the Macedonian churches. That's important. He talks about the idea that maybe they can meet your need when you have a need. Okay, that's a pretty good motivation as well. But really, Paul's biggest inspiration that he uses to encourage these believers to be generous with one another is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, a verse we read several weeks back. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So as Paul is trying to motivate these believers to be generous, he doesn't stick with, hey, try to keep up with the Macedonians. He doesn't stick with, hey, you might have a need one day, too, so you probably want to help them out right now. Ultimately, Paul comes back to the core of the gospel and he says, be generous because of how generous God has been with you. Consider the fact that Jesus left heaven, put on flesh became poor, not to the point of just having a lack of stuff or a lack of finances. He became poor to the point of dying on a cross for you. Let that be your inspiration to be generous with these Corinthian believers. And I pray that for us, our inspiration to be generous with one another in our time of need is that we look at the cross and that we consider the gospel. And how generous God has been to us. And we can't help but be generous to those around us as well. So the gospel inspires us and the Holy Spirit empowers us. You know, I think back to a guy like Russell, that guy who was helping people with their houses. That was his way of being generous. I look back at him and he wasn't generous just because he felt guilty and felt obligated to be generous. He wasn't generous because he was just trying harder to do the right thing or be a nice guy. I don't want to take anything away from Russell, but I also wouldn't hesitate to say that Russell's generosity was not empowered by those things. Russell's generosity was a work of the Holy Spirit in his heart. That the Holy Spirit was working on him and transforming him and shaping him and helping him become more like Christ. That's why he was generous. It wasn't through guilt. It wasn't through trying harder. It was through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Russell was someone who was inspired by the gospel. And he was generous because the Holy Spirit was working on him. 
The Holy Spirit, that's the driving force behind our generosity. So for us this morning, I would pray that we would ask the Holy Spirit to be working on our hearts to cultivate in us a spirit of generosity towards one another, to give us a heart of generosity towards one another with every phase of life, whether it's our possessions or our finances or our time or our gifts or grace or truth, that we would be generous with the things that have eternal value. And that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this generosity would be sustainable for days and weeks and months and years on end. These things come through the inspiration of the gospel. These things come through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, you look back at those stories in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and you're just blown away by what's happening in these churches. It just seems like this incredible movement of God that is happening in these churches. In Acts chapter 2, you see that thousands are being added to their number. In Acts chapter 4, it says that there's great power in the apostles' testimony about Jesus' resurrection. You know, I truly believe that part of the reason why thousands are being added to their number, that part of the reason that their testimony was so powerful to those who didn't know Christ is because those who didn't know Christ saw churches that were being generous with one another. They saw churches that were being generous with one another because they were inspired by the gospel and because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't something that you saw every day, that kind of radical generosity. I pray that our church, too, would be marked by this radical generosity. I pray that when people look at us, look at this body of believers... They'll see an incredible generosity that you don't just see everywhere else you look with other community groups or other faiths or other affinity groups. I pray that they would see that we are inspired by the gospel, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be generous and that thousands might be added to the kingdom of Christ. That the testimony of Christ that I share here on Sunday mornings, that you share in your work or in your school or in your neighborhood might have great power because of the generosity that happens here. Incredible things happened then, and I truly believe that incredible things can happen now. Let's pray. Father, you've given us so much. You've given us more than we're even aware of. And God, I pray that we can be good stewards of all that you've given us. I pray that we might use the things that you've given us, everything you've given us for your glory and view them as resources to further your kingdom and to make your name great among those who don't know you. God, I pray that we can be generous with one another because it all starts here. It starts with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It starts within this family. I pray that we can be generous in service. I pray that we can be generous in grace forgiving one another, bearing with one another, showing patience to one another. And I pray that we can be generous with the truth, teaching and admonishing one another. God, again, you've given us an incredible mission, an incredible calling. And I pray that you would inspire in us a generosity that would do justice to that calling that would give credibility to the message that we share, that it wouldn't take credibility away from the message that we share. 
God, I pray that we would do these things for the right reasons, not to earn your approval, not just because it's the right thing to do, not just so that we can become a healthier, bigger church. I pray that we would do these things because we've been inspired by the cross. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would continually empower us and continually strengthen us to be the generous people you call us to be. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that verse that we read, that Jesus became poor in order that we might become rich. The promise is not that we would become rich in the things of this life, but the promise is that we would become rich in the things of eternity. And as Carl mentioned, we are incredibly blessed to come here every single week and give thanks for the fact that God has been so generous with salvation that we can spend eternity with Christ because of his body broken and because of his bloodshed. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet this morning, talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'll be happy to talk to you, answer any questions that you have, pray with you. I pray that you'll leave this morning with a better understanding of just how generous God has been with you in eternity.